0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor and Focus podcast, where we will be discussing current monetary policy and its effects on the bond market. Across the world, economies are being hit with rising prices, challenged in a pursuit to tame inflation and prevent economic decline at the same time. While many central banks in emerging economies were already tightening in 2021, the US, UK and Eurozone have followed suit this year. The Bank of England has raised interest rates to 1.75% with further rate rises expected as inflation passed 10% and is predicted to reach 13% this winter or even higher before coming back down eventually to the bank's current 2% target. As a result, bond yields have soared as prices in tandem with equity values have crashed. But has the bank acted quickly and strongly enough? Or are interest rates not even a right tool to use, given a lot of the inflationary pressures such as the price of gas are really coming from abroad. With me here to discuss this today are William Morris, Head of Investments at Weatherby's Private Bank, Simon Holmes, Multi-Asset Portfolio Manager at Columbia Threadneedle Investments, and Amir Tamizi, Investment Manager at Seven Investment Management. Hello all, thanks for joining us today. William, let's start with you. Has the bank acted fast and strongly enough in the face of rising inflation?
1: Uh, I think it probably hasn't acted quite quickly enough, I think, by their own admission. Um, however, um, they're certainly now, I think, got the picture and are starting to move apace. Uh, but they are very much playing catch up with the Federal Reserve there. And I think the lead is very much being set um, by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and what he's been doing. And, and you know, when you look at what he was saying at the Jackson Hole Economic Symposium last week, setting out the, the, if like, the three lessons from what happened in the late 70s, the early 80s. Um, I, I think you know, the fact that he was setting out that one of the lessons is that you have to take full responsibility and accountability for for actually bringing inflation right down. I think the Bank of England is now starting to certainly play catch up.
0: Mm-hmm. Simon, do you agree?
2: Uh, broadly speaking, I, I do agree with that. Uh, I think that when you listen to some of the evidence they give, for example, to the Treasury Committee yesterday, and they look back on former times, they had reasons at those times for acting in the way that they did. But even then, their uh, economist was signalling worries around inflation down the track. So uh, m- my take is, they have been a bit slow. Uh, they are now acting to catch up along with other central banks. And even though when you look at their model, which has inflation coming back down the target or even below that and they're signaling an expectation of a recession uh, and which would normally mean that they would need to be more cautious and given that a lot of the inflationary pressure has come externally uh, and normally one might look through that. I think in this case they're going to be increasingly concerned about inflation expectations uh, and their ability to get back to their two percent target and whilst it's fair to say that uh, as a central bank dealing with these sorts of shocks, They can't control everything, but they do have to do what they can to manage that path. So particularly if um, you listen to Catherine Mann in her speech, she seems to be very concerned about that aspect of inflation expectations. So I think, as uh, William already said, they've hinted that they think they have been slow. They're now doing their best to catch up and they need to do this to get the credibility they need and to manage inflation expectations in the economy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, and we we've heard yesterday. I think it was Hugh Pill, the bank's chief economist, say that rates will need to rise further due to um, increased medium term pressure at home, um, which is mainly due to the government's actions to help us cope with rising prices, namely a possible energy price cap and handouts. Um, at the same time, um, the government plans to borrow the money to fund these handouts. So, how high will rates go? Um, Amir?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I'd say somewhat the sort of sixty-four million dollar question, if you like. I mean, if you look at the um, inflation breakdown so far, or the forecasts the Bank of England are already putting out there, um, you know, they, they're expecting headline inflation to get to 12 percent. Around half of that, they expect to be energy prices. So, you know, there is something they can't control, and that's something that the government has to deal with. Um, but the other half is something that is well within their remit, essentially, you know, echoing what what, what Simon and William have said. Um, now, in terms of how far they need to go, I mean, one of the things that I think I've been encouraged about is how honest the Bank of England have been. Um, you know, they, they're they telling us that the, what the UK is going to go through a recession. They're telling us that unemployment's going to go up. Um, you know, it's not... The Fed isn't doing that. Um, and so I think to some degree that what they're signalling is, is, I think... Um, largely, what you should expect, and and you know, markets pricing in four um, percent uh, rates by the sort of middle of next year or early next year, I think, um, feels largely right. Probably a little bit higher, but but yeah, with, with some surprises to the upside, but but not let's say the same extent of upside surprises that we've seen this year. Um, so yeah, roughly what they're signalling, I think, is 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 about right.
0: Mm-hmm. But are interest rates even the right tool given? to where inflationary pressures are coming from, i.e. not from a booming economy at home. William, what do you think?
1: Well, yes, they absolutely are, um, uh, despite the fact that a lot of that is coming from the supply side. I mean, and you know, going back to the, the, the lessons from that Jackson Hole Economic Symposium, one of them was you know, very much that um, you know, it, it is the responsibility to bring it down. And yes, I think he was also admitting that interest rates do really only affect the aggregate demand side of the picture acknowledging that you know, the supply is you know, also a big constraint right now. Now, the things you can say about the supply tiling is, you know, first of all, for the US, that's not such a bigger deal right now. It's very much a problem that we're facing more in the Europe. Um, you can also say that, frankly, we can't snap our fingers and create nuclear power stations over the night. But well, on the other hand, the best time to start is today. Um, I would also suggest that, you know, as you were alluding to, Amir, Part of this is outside of central banks' hands. That doesn't mean that they can abrogate themselves of their responsibility on the monetary policy side, but in, in an ideal world, you would start to see market forces start to exert themselves. And one of the things that I think a number of commentators have noted of Prime Minister Liz Truss's new plans for some sort of energy price bailout is that it's not particularly targeted. It just gives everyone a cap on their energy uh, prices, which gives no disincentive for me, you know, I'm just going to have super long hot baths throughout the winter, you know, I could just leave the central heating on all the time, it would have been much better, I, I think, a lot of people argue that it would have been, um, you know, uh, provided that incentive to, to use less gas in the shorter term, and therefore start to, you know, if we, if we can't expand supply, at least we can um, use market forces to reduce our reliance on these, you know, very, very tight resources by, for example, um, leaving energy bills uncapped but then providing very, very targeted relief for those who really need it. So I think there are other ways of getting around uh, the difficulties that we face that are not just interest rates but that doesn't absolve central banks of the need to get on top.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree, Simon?
2: Yes. I, I mean, when you listened to the, the committee meeting yesterday, they obviously stepped around the question of what the government's going to do because they don't know and they can't, Try to predict that and include that in their in their approach in a formal way. But they obviously know something's going to happen, and clearly, as has already been said, the energy price is being such an important part of this. So, a policy that aims to smooth that, you can say that at least will manage down inflation uncertainty. And if it's that inflation uncertainty which causes some of the uh, the risk premium in the market, whether that's longer end on. Uh, guilt yields or whether that's the expectations of peak rates in our cycle and at the moment we've got an expectation of peak rates in the UK of four and a half percent which which is a bit higher than it probably will be but I think that reflects that uncertainty so uh, clearly everybody's looking to see what gets announced today Uh, the, the Bank of England can't fix the energy crisis government policy has to do that but it has to do that in a way which causes as few other problems as possible And one of the other problems may be that if the government has to issue a lot more debt and the Bank of England are meant to be signalling what they're going to do on quantitative tightening, um, if those two things come at the same time, that could cause an additional layer of disruption in the bond market. So I think they have a lot to think about. Uh, They have to let the government do what they can and then they have to manage um, around that going forward.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, Amir, I mean... I suppose nobody can can say that, you know, help isn't needed. Help is needed, clearly. But also the types of help, um, as you've alluded to, William, as well, um, that are being given, we can influence. And they also have a habit of being replicated across Europe, perhaps. Um, do you think these kind of handouts, you know, if if it really if it really is announced today that you know there's a, a flat energy price cap um, as well as the 400 pound handout as well as perhaps a VAT cut, do you think this will not only kind of mess with inflation in the short term but perhaps prolong it? You know, perhaps globally f- for even longer than than needs to be.
3: So, yeah, there is an element of truth to that. I think there are probably two sides to that answer. I think number one is you know, if you think about what the you know the, what the 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 interest rate hikes are attempted to do it's you raise interest rates you slow down demand you, you know, reduce profitability so so that business invest less. eventually you create a slowdown which which eventually leads to, to falling inflation now to some degree interest rates are doing that or going to be doing that but the energy price spike was going to do some of that as well right? you know people people that that there's a self-correcting element to, to inflation that Energy prices will bring down other other sort of inflation across the economy. Now, if you're going to cap that, if you're going to cap that, um, then then clearly you're taking that 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 side of the equation out. I mean, what we've learnt from COVID um, and the fiscal response to COVID is that these things aren't consequence free you know, it felt good at the time, you know, stimulus checks to in, in the US and, uh, and and all the other policies across Europe that, that were very similar. And all economists pretty much now are saying, you know, it, it went a bit too far. Um, and, and it's part of the current inflation problem. Now, clearly, at the time, you, it was not clear how long um, COVID was going to last. It wasn't clear exactly, you know, how the recovery was going to take place. And it wasn't, you know, I think appreciated just how much um, demand was going to shift towards goods, um, and, and all of those impacts that that had. Um, but there are going to be consequences, you know, and and, um, and and that that shouldn't be forgotten. As William says, I think it, it should be a little bit more targeted than than just a blanket uh, a blanket protection
2: um, um, of energy bills. Mm-hmm. do
0: you...
2: I, May I add one yeah, point? Yeah, um, just thinking in terms of whether this policy makes things easier for the Bank of England, if you if you do manage down the uh, price of energy for households, then clearly, and that is calculated and that's included within the, the CPI calculation, then the projections that we've done and that we've seen elsewhere, uh, making a lot of assumptions, of course, but that would suggest that the inflation we see cuts back down to the 2% target about a year earlier than if we continued on the path that we're on without that support. So if part of the question is worrying about inflation expectations and very high headline rates of inflation just in the media, um, anything that brings that down more quickly, I think probably does help their cause in terms of their worry around inflation expectations.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what about stagflation? Is that, is that something that's seriously on the card? 80s style Amir?
3: Um, I think possibly in the short term um, you know if you think about in the 70s 60s um, to 70s one of the, um, the dynamics that was happening in the, in the economy was there was a break between the relationship between growth and inflation and so you know slow growth wasn't leading to slow in- lower inflation and high growth, but high growth at the same time was, 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 was pushing up inflation. And what we saw since the, since the 80s, essentially, is that there was a, a positive correlation between the two, um, where you could reasonably predict that inflation would fall if growth was falling and vice versa. We're in a situation now where um, inflation is sticky. Um, some of that's down to inflation expectations, but, but actually just we've ended up post-COVID with the distortions from, from the recovery that you know, we've got really tight labour markets. We've got tight labour markets in the US, we've got tight labour markets in Europe, we've got tight labour markets in the UK. Um, and that is, is putting, it's, it's putting a floor on, on where inflation can go until they create some un- unemployment, essentially. Um, so so I, think, I think the answer is at least in the short term. Yes, that's true, um, uh, until they can until they can uh, generate that labour market slack again.
1: Yeah, I think we're almost there, um, in a sense. We're kind of arriving at that station, at least in the short term, as you were saying, Amir. Um, the question is, you know, what's going to happen a little bit further? Is it going to you know, prolong that kind of episode that we had in the 70s, um, early 80s? I, I, to that, I'd say that, you know, we had to be a little bit careful of projecting what happened in the past into the recent into the future because what's happening now, especially in the US, is just so unprecedented. Um, uh, I, I would be loathe to make those comparisons and just copy and paste past into the future. Um, there's that argument that's going on right now between, you know, the Fed and, and likes of Larry Summers and Blanchard about, you know, to what extent do we need to see higher employment to bring you know, inflation down. Um, and in fact, is it possible to um, achieve that sort of soft landing because of the fact that we're such a steep part of, of that beverage curve right now um, and maybe we only need a very, very very small um, reduction in the number of job openings, for example, or the number of P quits to to bring that inflation under control. So because we're in a kind of unprecedented situation, I'd be very much loath to project anything beyond the next few months where it does look like we're going to get you know, some form of
2: stagflation um certainly in the near term. Mm -hmm.
0: What do you think, Simon?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, broadly along the same lines, if COVID, let's just say that had two significant shocks, it had a supply side shock in the supply chain and so on. And it also had the reduction in the the participation level in the labour market that William just mentioned. And then on top of that, we've had the war slash energy shock. So those two supply side shocks, they should, uh, unless things continue to to get worse and worse at the same rate which is is unlikely because that would mean that you'd have to see energy prices continuing to go up you know in europe by a factor of five or seven which is that's extremely unlikely uh, and that's notwithstanding the the policy that we're about to get those two shouldn't be persistent shocks um those two should come out as we just said if you get inflation coming back down towards two in a year or even two then at least you're not in that inflation part of the stagflation but the um The point made on the labour market, that's different. And I think we're all trying to understand, A, what will be the effects of that and how much of a reduction in demand does it take to bring uh, pressure off in terms of that labour market and then wage growth? And then secondly, is it the case that actually participation may increase again if people have left the labour market because, A, they were worried about going to work or, B, their wealth effect had improved and therefore they felt they could step out of it? And if now we see their real incomes eroded again, will those people come back? And that can also help to ease pressure on that demand side.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. OK, well, let's talk about bonds. Um, as bond managers, you tend to either protect against inflation or against recession, I suppose. Um, where do you look for value, Amir?
3: So I think there's there's multiple um, steps to that. Um, I think for, number one is, you know, the opportunity cost across markets has clearly changed. You know, a few years, last year, very simply, U.S. high yield, you know, one of the riskier parts of the sort of um, bond spectrum, if you like, would have been yielding 3.5% or so. Um, and currently, you can get that essentially on cash, or, or, or you're going to be getting that on cash in, in a year's time. Um, and so the opportunity cost has definitely shifted a lot, right? So, so it depends on your objective. You know What are you looking to achieve? Is it a, is it a total return of some description? You know, cash isn't not a bad instrument or at least a short-term you know investment grade high quality sort of bonds are, are, are a much more attractive place to be right now. I, I think the second part of this and, and I think we're all, we've all alluded to it in some description is that you know there is um, a recession on the go in the UK there is possibly a recession on the go in the US or at least that's a decent chance of happening. Um, alongside, you know, a central set, a set of central banks that will look to tame inflation and possibly, possibly aggravate, let's say the the, the economic situation. In that world, equities are going to struggle. Um, uh, who knows exactly how far they fall? Who knows exactly what happens there? But but equities don't do well in recessions. So they tend to be disorientated by by the the sort of the the, the negative growth. And in that world, you know, again, um, you look at uh investment grade, you look at US high yield again and you're seeing returns of four, five, six percent, um, you know, adjusted for defaults. And you know, our equities are going to deliver that per annum over the next three, four, five years. It's it's, it's a it's a it's a difficult one to, 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 to argue, I think, for. So so I think in terms of what to look for in fixed income, yes, the, the correlation argument is, is difficult, but the there are there are returns to be had out there, I think, um uh, particularly against uh, riskier assets.
0: Mm-hmm. What about you, William?
1: Um, well, I'm sort of the, the token passive guy, so I don't look specifically at, you know, particular sectors or regions, that kind of thing. But um, the way I look at it very much is from, you know, the, the common refrain, the attack is that, you know, bonds are done. Uh, they're no longer providing the risk control that they, you know, they once did. And, and I take issue with that. I demure from that argument because uh, I think it's too simplistic in the way it looks at what's happened to bonds so far this year. And I think that what has happened with you know, the steep price falls is precisely exactly what you would expect to happen given interest rate rises. Um, um, and that is exactly what has happened in the past when you find interest rate rises in you know 1994 and before then, um, and it would have been totally incorrect to draw the conclusion from 1994 that bonds will never again provide a ballast or a, an offset to equity crashes of the type that we saw in the financial crisis, for example. So you know there are two different kinds of of, of crash, if you like, you know, or, or, or portfolio shock. One can be when interest rates rise and it affects every asset that's going to provide you cash flows in the future, even if they are somehow linked to inflation one way or another. Uh, the other is one where it's very much linked to Expectations for equities and you know dividends, which is very much more you know, particular to that kind of financial crisis style of example, and and therefore I would I would um, disagree that you know bonds are done. Um, the correlation is not just a single number that stays static forever; it very much goes up and down. Um, and therefore, when I would look at the, you know, the place for the bonds in a portfolio, I would say that you know stick stick with them. And in fact, now that yields are off the floor there is more room to suppress, should we have that kind of crash come round again. So if anything, it's probably time to take tentative steps towards ever so slightly longer duration. But noting that, and frankly, the curve is so flat right now that it's not really worth going very far at all. And staying reasonably diversified
2: is probably still the way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about you, Simon? Do you look for longer or shorter duration at the moment?
2: Um, well, to come to the point, first of all, on the correlation... So if you look at the correlation over the last 120 years or so, up and well, most of last century, that correlation was more positive than negative, i.e. bonds and equities moving up or down together. Uh, and it's really been the 20 years we've had in this century so far where we've got much more used to a helpful negative one. Uh, and then when, when you look into why that is, uh, one of the reasons that has been found in, in different research pieces is about how stable are the inflation expectations in the economy uh, and how good are central banks at managing that and how how independent are they, how able are they to actually target that uh, with more independence from from fiscal policy. So uh, you might say that the last 20 years have been unusual, but partly they've been unusual because things have moved on. What we've been facing very recently is a move back to those more unexpected shocks and that means we do have more uncertainty around inflation less stability but as we've been saying on this podcast so far central banks they might have started off a bit slow but they are moving ahead they're trying to get ahead of the curve so I think it is fair to say we'll get to a point where perhaps uh, there is a bit less uncertainty and so perhaps the correlation can start to go back to being one where if, if growth is weak and equities sell off bonds can rally, particularly if they've got to higher yields, which reflect that uncertainty. And an aspect of bond yields is putting back in the term premium that had been taken out when inflation was persistently low. And we have added in a bit of term premium, but I think we probably need to see more before we can be really comfortable that actually buying bonds uh, is, is a good bet, medium term, particularly at the longer end of the curve. So I'd like to see steeper curves. But I feel that for me now and for us, whereas For the last year or so, we've been persistently underweight of bonds, pretty much all types of bonds, worrying about how far uh, rates have to go. Now, it feels much more of a two-way bet. We're going to see inflation peaking. We can see that central banks are doing what they can uh, to regain credibility and get ahead of the curve. And And we can see higher yields. And we can also see somewhat higher spreads in credit. So personally, I think, yes, there's room for bonds in the portfolio right now I'm wary of going out to the long end I'd still be at the short end or in cash as a place to hide almost or to reduce risk and I think equities probably have more to process uh, but I don't think we're very far away from being able to go from an underweight back to a neutral and then possibly to an overweight depending on how yields um, pay out from here. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay Um, in fact um, you mentioned you all mentioned the um, the correlation between equities and bonds, um, and as you all know, advisors often subscribe to the 60-40 kind of um, allocation of 60% equity, 40% bonds. And earlier this month, Quilter um, looked at a looked at 12-month forward returns for a 60-40 asset allocation after quarters where stocks and bonds fell together. So, which is currently the case, and it actually found the performance was relatively healthy.
1: Yeah, although I would add that, you know, as a kind of recovering quant, I think that you have to take, you know, past performance with, you know, quite a cellar of salt. And anything that's just based on looking at what's happened in the past, you know, it cannot really tell you very much. You have to, you know, as Simon was saying, look at, you know, why did that happen in the past and trying to understand. Because, you know, without those explanations, you know, you're just dealing with, you know, constellations
3: in the sky. I mean, I guess just to add to that, you know, the difference between, this time and what's happened in the past is that we started at basically zero you know very low interest rate so the duration was much more aggressive or so much higher i should say so that the pain was more aggressive from the bond sell-off or the or the interest rate rise um so and we're still at a level in which another rise in interest rates could still be painful for bonds whereas you know if you looked in the 70s and your starting yield was 10 your duration was lower your your yield was higher and so the impact of yield rises was was nowhere near as impactful. So so I think we do need to be cautious of that. Um, I guess just one other point on the um, the correlation uh, I, I think which which I think lends into the 60-40 discussion is you know adding on to the inflation expectations discussion we had the, the growth in the growth inflation correlation or relationship is is also I think important to the equity bond correlation which makes a lot of sense right if if growth slows and you can you know reasonably expect inflation to slow on the back of that then you know equities falling from growth falling should also lead to bonds bond yields falling because inflation is falling so so seeing that growth inflation uh dynamic return again which is difficult to see over the next six months or so or, or near term let's call it that but should reassert itself if the central banks are successful they're successful in bringing down um inflation um or at least uh, in it in, in, in Increasing inflation certainty, if you like, um, and in that world, um, the sixty forty portfolio, or at least getting to that world, could still feel uncomfortable, uh, which is where I challenge the 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 research there. Um, but again, further out, um, further out, I would say the, the sort of the, the sixty forty is more in a coma than it in more than than it is dead, if you like.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, we're almost out of time. But um just one final question, and some of you have alluded to this as well. Um, and it's um, what if the Bank of England loses its independence or sees a change to its mandate um, in terms of how it um, deals with um, inflation? Some say this could be this could be a massive issue for the bonds market. do you agree?
3: Yes um, I, th- I think the, the there's multiple reasons why. Um, you know inflation has fallen over the last 20 or 30 years and lots of it's down to supply side things that are happening in the in, in the world from from commodity prices to the opening up of, of, of the world and uh, but one of them has been the central bank anchor there has been a uh, an increase in credibility that central banks are, are going to to maintain an inflation target and if you take that credibility away which you can do if you if you if you reduce the independence or if you see um, politicians and interfering if you like and and to some degree that's what you see in emerging markets and you know most of the let's say poster childs for emerging market economies or central banks are the ones where they are you know removing the the political interference and are are being as independent as possible so so to go the other way would be strange um and and i I don't think very welcome from Mm -hmm. from bond markets
0: william what do you think about a possible review of the bank of england's remit?
3: Well, one one always
1: has to be careful when, you know, trading into the territory of politics. I think it's true that um, politicians campaign in poetry but govern in prose. Um, We have to be, you know, careful of, of you know, extrapolating too much from promises made on the Camberley tra- trail to Conservative Party members, um, for sure. You know, if, if the Bank of England lost its independence, we only have to look to places like Turkey to see what happens. Then you have you know, slightly unorthodox policies adopted by uh, you know, central dictat. Um, some of the other you know, mooted suggestions, you know, although we probably should treat them as just rumours, would be more eyebrow-raising rather than you know cause for a panic attack. Um, but I think you know, it's a very nice case of wait and see. And I'm sure you know the country will limp on regardless.
0: Simon would you welcome a review of the Bank of England's current uh, mandate?
2: Uh, I think in fact as um, Andrew Bailey said yesterday it's good practice to review uh, what the central bank is doing and how it's doing it and can anything be learned and so on and there's always things that can be learned so I think they would welcome a review uh, a fairly normal review I would imagine Uh, and we can all learn something from that I don't expect to see any significant change obviously one can be caught out making comments like that but i think that what's been going on for the last 20 years or so has generally been viewed to have worked pretty well um and if they continue with that and with the as much independence as they can then that's much better Uh, and it's funny that both the others made that reference to emerging markets because that was going to be my first comment and when you have you know bond yields moving a lot higher and the currency selling off uh, it does feel like you're an emerging market, but we've got many things between us and being in that status. And one of them is the independence of central banks. So uh, review it. That's fine. But I don't expect a material change and I'd be worried if there were one.
0: Absolutely. And of course, Vanguard has pointed to a golden opportunity in um, emerging markets. But we have no time to discuss this today, I'm afraid. Um, thank you very, very much, Um For for coming in and and talking to me about this incredibly fascinating, complicated, and vast and current topic. Um, Plenty more to be discussed for sure. And thank you for listening. Please tune in again next time.
2: Selling a little
1: or a lot?